Um, have you ever been somewhere and it was obvious that you were completely out of place and completely out of your element? And it left, you know, it felt like other people were staring at you because not only did you know you were out of place and you were out of your element, but some element, but somehow they, they knew. Like, like you just didn't fit in with the people or the environment that you found yourself in. In 2013, uh, my wife and I, and our, at the time our two kids, Jaron and Kaylee, we traveled to China to adopt our son, Kai. He's getting ready to turn 11. He was three years old at the time. And honestly, the whole trip was an incredible experience. We went ahead of time and we got to be in country a week ahead of time and do some like tourism stuff in and around Beijing before we flew to Wuhan, uh, home of the coronavirus, uh, but also the place that we uh, adopted Kai from. And uh, we went there and then spent a week there and then flew to Guangzhou and spent about four or five days there waiting for everything to get processed. And uh, and it was an incredible experience. But we landed at the airport in Beijing and uh, and we were walking through the airport and I did not see the giant signs that said no cameras or pictures. And so I took out my phone and we had just landed in China. So I'm like taking pictures and a guy with a giant machine gun came up and started yelling at me. And then everybody else was yell- looking at me and yelling at me. And then we got in the, the you know, our uh, interpreter and guide met us. We got in the van. He took us to the, to the hotel and he's like, hey, you guys are the first ones to get here. And so I'm gonna be going back and forth stay at the hotel. And we're like, gotcha. And then we left the hotel uh, and decided to go walk around and explore. And uh, because that's just what, what we do. Like we just like being in new cities and new places. And, and, and so um, we went to, uh, I don't know if you've ever been in a Walmart. It doesn't matter. I've been in a Walmart. Uh, so we went, we went to Walmart uh, and decided to buy some food and some water. And, uh, and nobody, nobody anywhere around us spoke any English, and we did not speak any Mandarin. And so it was a crazy experience. But everybody, when we walked into that store, everybody was like, just stopped and watched us. And we were just like looking at apples and picking stuff out. And it was like, they had never, like they'd never seen a human being shot before. And so they were just like staring at us. And we went and got in line and the line did not go well because we couldn't understand what was actually happening. And so we bought all this stuff and the clerk was really clearly like upset that we did not know what was happening and we could not speak English and she couldn't like communicate. We, we did not speak English. We did not speak Mandarin and she couldn't communicate in English what was going on. And so like everybody else that came through got a bag for their groceries, we got no bag. And so the four of us, we're carrying like two things of water and all these groceries. And we're like walking like this down, you know, for the quarter mile back to the hotel. It was crazy, the whole experience. It was obvious though, from the beginning that we did not fit, that we didn't belong. And the whole trip, like strangers would walk up to us, whether it was in, you know, whether it was in Olympic Square, you know, where the, where the Beijing Olympics were, or whether we were out in the countryside, just kind of sightseeing and people would just walk up to us, grab our kids, spin them around, pose for a picture, and then walk away. It was, it was really crazy. And not say anything to us, not, not make any motions to us. 
um, because they just never had seen white people before, and they certainly hadn't seen, you know, white kids with blonde hair before, and it it was crazy. We actually, when we were in Wuhan, um, at that time in our lives, we were actually training for a marathon, so we were running a lot. And, uh, and, and I know you're like, hey, you should maybe get back out there. You know, I don't know, try that a little more. Um, you just shut up, all right? Yeah, I know what you're thinking. Um, and, and so we would go, we went, so we, we actually went to China at the beginning of August, and it was the hottest place on earth I've ever been. Uh, and so we would get up and go running, and, and uh, we had a different guide in Wuhan, and one day he came to pick us up, and, and there were some people that were talking to him and saying things about us, and, and, uh, and then we're like, what'd they say? And he's like, um, he, they said that you white Americans, you shouldn't run. You, it's too hot here. You need to stay. You guys are crazy. Stay in the hotel. Stay out of the, you can't handle it. I was like, what? And so we would get up and go running every morning and they have, you know, all the, all the really cute old people were out there doing Tai Chi in the park, you know, and they're working out and, and then we would run and then they would come over to the fence and they would watch us and they would clap, you know, like, woo, the fat kids running, go, yeah. Um, And it was awesome, but it was obvious we didn't belong there. Now, you may have never been to China. You might not have had the pleasure of shopping at Walmart, uh, but we all know the fear, the anxiety, the insecurity that we feel when we're an outsider, when we don't fit in, when, when it's clear everybody else is like, what, what's going on? What are you doing here? Or have you ever had that moment where a friend like dragged you into something and so you started anticipating being uncomfortable and being out of place and so your nerves kind of caused you to overcompensate? So you dressed a little bit differently than you normally would or or you changed how you talked a little bit or you pretended to know things about stuff that you have no idea about, right? Just so you could fit in and make conversation and it's all so awkward and the truth is, We've, we've all been there, right? For many of us, like we've had that kind of experience, unfortunately, at church. I mean, think about, think back to some of your experiences, especially if you didn't grow up in church. Like, have you ever had a moment in church where you felt like you didn't belong, where it just seemed like everybody was staring at you and they all knew what to do and they all somehow knew the words of what was going on and they were all cued in, but you didn't know and they didn't, they knew that you didn't know. And so you felt weird and they felt weird about you being there. And and the truth is, is like, I think many of us can kind of relate to that experience. And those moments are so powerful, but they're also so painful and so wrong, right? Because they play on our fears and our insecurities and our anxieties. And the tragedy in the middle of those experiences is that people start assuming, well, maybe it's not just them. Maybe God's uncomfortable with me. Maybe God doesn't want me here. Maybe this isn't where I belong. And the truth is, this isn't just an issue for us. It's not just a conversation that we're going to have today. It's not just situations that happen today. It's actually one that was constantly coming up with Jesus and his followers. So they were constantly having conversations about who belonged and who didn't, and whose side was God on, and who was in, and who was out. And one of those moments happened in this really awkward experience when they were actually having dinner, when Jesus and his disciples were at a dinner party um, at one of the Pharisees' house. And it's found in Luke chapter 7. And so I just want us to take a look at it together and 
and see if there's something about grace that we can kind of mine out of this story. So Luke chapter seven, beginning with verse 36, it says this. It says, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. And so Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. It was in that moment that a certain immoral woman from the city heard who was eating there and she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume and she knelt behind him at his feet weeping. So he was kneeling at the table, his feet are behind him, she kneels behind him. Her tears fall on his feet and she wipes them with her hair and then she kept kissing his feet and put perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself or he thought to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She is a sinner. Now, I know sometimes when we read the scriptures, we've either, especially for those of us that have grown up in church, like we've either heard the stories so many times or the writers tell the story so matter-of-factly that we don't really stop to think about what's actually happening. So the truth is, is Jesus would have been the absolute best greatest dinner guest ever because everywhere he went crazy stuff happened and this time is no different have you ever been somewhere and something really really unexpected happens like I'm one of those people that weird stuff just seems to follow me around like wherever I go something weird's gonna happen something uncomfortable is gonna happen I was at I was on staff for a couple of years at a church in Las Vegas and I was at a prayer meeting while I was on staff there that was just for pastors and, and right in the middle of it, two of the pastors got in a huge fight at 6.30 in the morning at a prayer meeting. And they were throwing stuff and there was name calling and yelling and certain words were said to and about each other and to and about family members, words that shouldn't be said in a prayer meeting, all right? Uh, and it was one of my favorite prayer meetings I've ever been to for all, all the wrong reasons, obviously. But weird stuff happens to me. And so Jesus was invited to dinner by a religious leader, which is amazing to begin with, right? Because he's this guy who invited him to dinner. He's, he's one of the guys who was constantly opposing Jesus. He's one of the people that would ultimately be responsible for Jesus's death. But Jesus graciously accepts and goes to dinner at his house. See, it makes us uncomfortable, but Jesus even gave grace to the grace killers, He gave grace to those people that I find some of the most difficult people to give grace to. Those who traffic in guilt and shame and judgment, people who leverage religion to try to manipulate and control other people. And if I'm being honest, I wanna fight those people. I I don't wanna give them grace, but Jesus was always loving and gracious to them. Sometimes there were confrontations. Sometimes he would call them out but he was never mean, he was never rude. He was always loving and gracious to them. So they're sitting down for dinner and it's a pretty good sized crowd for a dinner party. Jesus and his disciples are there as well as the host and some of the other Pharisees and the religious leaders are are there in this guy's house and they're having dinner. And then a woman with a certain kind of reputation, a reputation that made her known as an immoral woman, she obviously was not invited to the party but she hears about where Jesus is eating for dinner. And so she just decides, I'm just gonna show up. I'm just gonna go there. And so she does something that admittedly when she arrives 
would be pretty weird even when you factor in all the context and all the cultural differences and all the things that would have been happening. She kneels down behind him and she's just a hot mess, you guys. She's sobbing and her tears are falling on his feet. So, you know, clearly he's on his knees and she starts washing his feet with her tears and drying them with her hair. And she kisses her feet and pours really expensive perfume on them. And, and, and now I know these were God's feet, but Jesus was also 100% human. And I don't know if you've ever kissed anybody's feet before, but chances are they weren't like dirty, walk around the dusty Middle Eastern countryside in your sandals all day feet. Also, you have to be crying pretty hard to generate enough tears to wash someone's feet. And I don't know if you've ever tried to eat dinner with someone sobbing and wailing like right beside you, but it'd be pretty difficult to just enjoy your dinner. So how's, how's your salad? She's like, ah! like, I mean, like, that would just be a weird environment to try to have dinner. And so Luke tells us that people are uncomfortable. The host is indignant, not just because of what she's doing, but because of who she is. And everyone in the room is uncomfortable except for Jesus. And this is one of the things I love about Jesus. See, grace isn't ever uncomfortable with you or your baggage, no matter how messy, no matter how broken, no matter how, like, how much, what kind of social norms you're breaking. Like, grace is not uncomfortable with you. I mean, stop and think about the fear and the anxiety that this lady must have experienced leading up to and through this whole experience, walking into that room with those people. It's, it's, and it's not even a public place. It's this guy's house, knowing that she has a reputation and they know her reputation. And so she's gonna get all the looks and the judgment and all the things that are gonna happen when she enters that room. But grace was greater than her fear. And sure enough, her fears are realized. As it's unfolding, the religious guy, the host of the dinner, he doesn't say, hey, lady, we're trying to have dinner. Could you maybe wait outside, talk to him after? No, he thinks to himself, man, if this dude was legit, like if he was who he says he is, like if he was just a prophet, much less who he says he is, He'd know what kind of a woman this is and that she's a sinner. And, and the word that, that gets translated into sinner, like he wasn't talking about like just your garden variety doing stuff wrong. Like he, he was, he, the word he used is like, he would know that she's dirty, that she's damaged, that she's stained, that she's irredeemable. He would know what this person is about, that she's broken beyond repair. And he would make her stop. But the beautiful reality is that Jesus knew exactly what kind of person it was that was touching him. He knew exactly who was sitting behind him. See, he created you, so he sees you and he knows you. He knows your story. And he doesn't shy away or pull back or distance himself when you start moving towards him. See, when God looks at humanity, grace doesn't see saints and sinners. It just sees people that he made and he loves and he knows and he died for. To, G- to, to Jesus, people were important and valuable regardless of the category or the label that was placed, that was placed on them by themselves or by other people or by society. 
lepers and tax collectors and prostitutes and drunks and washouts and failures and cheats and doubters and the self-righteous and the adulterers and the divorcees and the addicts and hotheads and the murderers and on and on and on the list goes. In fact, when you really read the scriptures over and over and over again, you actually begin to see that God prefers real people over quote-unquote good people. Jesus was the harshest, the most confrontational with people who were the quote-unquote good people who thought that their goodness made them better than other people. And that's what Jesus' hosts actually failed to realize in this moment. In his arrogance, in his goodness, in his religious piety, he lost sight of the truth that God loves us because of who he is, not because of who we are. That there isn't anything that this guy has done or you have done or I have done that makes God love us. And that's really good news because if he loved me because of who I am or something that I've done, that would last about two seconds before I said or did something stupid to screw all that up. But his grace is greater than my pride and my past and my pain and my fear and my sin and my mess and my brokenness and my shame and my anxiety and my insecurities and all of that. So Jesus He would have been an incredible dinner guest, which is 100% true. But he also, I think, for mere mortals like us, I think he would have been a bummer to hang around sometimes. Why? Well, check out what happens next. So we read in verse 39 where it says, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, or he thought to himself, and then verse 40 it says, then Jesus answered his thoughts. So, Jesus does this like reverse Jedi mind trick thing where he reads the dude's thoughts, which, I mean, if you think about it, it's kind of dirty. Like, that's not cool, Jesus. Like, this dude, he's doing what good Christians do. He's judging the lady on the inside. He's not even saying it on the outside. But Jesus reads his thoughts, right? And if you're one of the disciples, after that, you're like, dude, he read his thoughts, Right, and you're hanging out with Jesus. You're like, not even our thoughts are safe. You're just walking around saying to yourself, don't, don't think anything, don't think anything, don't think anything, don't, please don't let them see my thoughts. So people start, this guy's attacking her, and he's, he's just thinking to himself, right, what everybody else is thinking. They're attacking and judging her, but Jesus defends her. See, if grace was just forgiveness and acceptance, that that would be amazing. But it's actually so much bigger than that. It, It covers us, and it comes to our defense when no one else will. See, we define ourselves and other people by what we've done, which is what happened in the story. She's a sinner. She's messed up. That's not the way that God defines us. God defines us. Jesus defines us by who he is, by what he's done, by his love. And the truth is, this morning, for better or worse, the book on you isn't the labels you wear. It isn't the titles you have. The book on you isn't the choices you've made. The book on you isn't all the trophies you've accumulated and all the successes you've had. 
It's not your failures and disappointments. It's not your fears or your pain. It's not your darkest moments or your finest hour. The book on you is this, that you were fashioned and formed by God, that you are the object of his love, that you are his son, that you are his daughter, the end. And then grace actually seeks to destroy every other label, every other judgment, every other category that anyone else would place on us, including ourselves. It's greater than all of those things, all of our fears, all of our pain, all of our mess, all of our insecurities. And when we get that, it changes everything about us and how we live. Now, there's, there's one more angle to this whole thing that I, I want you to see before we finish. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, it says this. God didn't give us a spirit that makes us weak and fearful. He gave us a spirit that gives us power and love. It helps us control ourselves. This is one of my favorite scriptures, and it's one of my favorite scriptures because it's such good news, it gives me hope. Because there are plenty of times in my life where I feel too weak, too broken, too messed up to live and to love like I really want to live and love. And there's times in my life where I feel so broken that I'm too afraid even to try because I know who I am. I know where my junk is buried. I know where the garbage and all the skeletons are. I know all of that. But the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy says this, God gives us his spirit and it's one of power and love. And it helps us control our out of control selves and actually begin moving toward who he created us to be. That's what Jesus came to do, right? So in this verse in Timothy, what we see is that grace actually has this this dual action in our lives. I hate even sound, it makes this sound like it's OxyClean or something, but, but grace is both freedom from something, but it's also power for something. See, grace isn't just freedom from the old, it's power to live into the new. It's not just freedom from fear, it's the power to live in courage. It's not just freedom from our past, it's power for our future. It's not just freedom from our weakness, it's power to live in God's strength. It's not just freedom from our broken selves, it's power for our ultimate healing. Freedom from the curse of our stories and our histories and the momentum of everything that's come before it. Freedom from our brokenness and sin and mess. Freedom from the chaos of our own selves. But also the power to live into something different, a different kind of story altogether. The power to become all that God created us to become. So often, I'll just speak for myself, we want God to make our life easier right? That, that's the freedom part. God, you set me free from that thing that I just kept struggling with, that habit, that pain, that you set me free from that. But that, that's only one half of the equation because we want God to make our life easier, but he's actually trying to make it more meaningful and more real and more true. And in order to do that, we have to embrace grace and the power to grow and move forward. Earlier, we read from that story 
in Luke. And John, who was another one of Jesus' friends and disciples, he was there at that dinner with Jesus and all, when all of that happened. And in the opening few verses of this book about Jesus, he describes the thing, that, that thing about Jesus that Jesus came to bring as he describes it as grace. He says it this way in First John, I'm sorry, in John chapter one, verse 14. He says, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son of God who came from the father and he was full of grace and truth. He was full of grace and truth, full of it, full of both, full of grace, full of truth. I love that. He was full of grace. He was full of truth. Isn't it interesting that people, and and I'll just pick on us because I'm a follower of Jesus, that people, especially Christians, that we always talk about dropping truth bombs on people. I've never heard anybody ever talk about dropping a grace bomb on anybody. John says Jesus was full of both. And then he wasn't done. In verse 16 of chapter one, he says this, and out of that fullness, that he was full of both, and out of that fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace in place of grace that was already given. He says that Jesus was so full of grace, and just so we don't miss it, he says that out of that fullness, he gives us grace on top of grace on top of grace on top of grace on top of grace. I mean, think about that for a second, that God gives you grace, and then before you even have scratched the surface of using up that grace, he gives you more. Hansi and I actually love, uh, we uh, enjoy eating out, and um, you're probably thinking about lunch right now and maybe thinking about where you're going. When we go out, one of my only pet peeves is when my drink sits empty, and I'm not one of those psychos who thinks it should never run out. Uh, just don't leave it sitting empty for three or four or five minutes. Anybody with me on that one? Yeah, okay. And and then when it happens, you do that thing where you kind of move it from this side of the table, you put it on the edge of the table, like maybe maybe they didn't see it. (laughs) Honestly, most servers do okay, but every once in a while you get someone who's like the Michael Jordan of drink refills. Right? Have you ever had one of those servers where you take a couple of drinks and it's like you're like a third of the way down and they're just like, oh, I'll bring you another. And then you're just like, whoa, okay. And of course, that thing in your brain's like, they brought it to me. I got to drink it. So you down this one, then you down that one. And they just, and then another, and then another until eventually your table is just nothing but cups and you're just like waving the white flag. Like, I can't, I can't drink all that you're bringing to me. It's glorious when that happens, right? Like, you're just like, Yes especially because this soda was like 450 so you better just keep it coming <laughs> see we often live like grace is this limited commodity where the demand is really high but the supply is low and God's just kind of you know slowly parceling it out piece by piece oh a little too much bring some of that back but nothing could be further from the truth. It's actually the exact opposite. John is saying that, that, that the grace of God is so abundant that it's absurd, that it's uncomfortable, that it's scandalous. Because every time we fail, Jesus lovingly picks us up and graciously points us to that better version of ourselves towards the person that we can be in him. See, you know the most uncomfortable part of the story about the lady at the dinner party. The most uncomfortable part of that story for me is unfortunately, I I can actually identify with both sides of that story. 
that there have been times in my life where I was like her. I, I was so broken and so messy, times where I had to push past fears and insecurities and the graceless judgment of other people and find my way to Jesus. But I'm ashamed, embarrassed to admit, there have also been times where I was the graceless one. Times where I sat in judgment of someone else. It's amazing how short the walk is from grace to judgment, isn't it? But John said that Jesus was full of grace and truth. And isn't it true that most of, most of the time we want grace for us, but truth for them? I'm just speaking the truth. Well, how about, how about you give them the grace that God gave to you? So how, how do we keep ourselves from following it, falling into that trap? Well, John to the rescue. In one of his letters in 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, he says this. He says, love has no fear because perfect love expels fear. And if we're afraid, it's proof. That the fear, it's fear of punishment, which shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. We love because he loved us first. John says the answer is staying connected to the source of love. That we love God because he loved us first. That we love each other because he loved us first. See, the further from view that where I came from and who I was when grace found me, the further from view that that gets, the harder it is for me to live in grace towards other people. And the more likely I am to revert from love to fear. After all, You're trying to judge and control everybody and everything else? Isn't that just fear, insecurity, running wild in your heart? But when I live in God's love, I actually lose my need to judge or control you or anybody else because love drives out fear. In Psalm chapter 37 Verse 23, it says that the Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their life. I love that because it's a reminder to me that God leads us towards taking steps. See, there are times in our lives where we have to leap. We got to jump. We got to take the big risk. But I think so often we underestimate the power of God to work in our lives in our tiny daily steps. And the truth is, that's actually the way that God changes our life, one step at a time. And so no matter who you are this morning, no matter what part of the story that you identify with most, whether there's fear running rampant in your life, or maybe you didn't think you were afraid, but you're that person that's always trying to control and judge other people. The truth is, you're just one decision away from a totally different life. I'm just going, God, this is who I am. I need to step back into that place where I'm staying connected to the one who is love and grace. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you're one decision away from a totally different life. The story of God in the scriptures is the story of a rescue mission of God wanting his family back. Jesus came to rescue us and because of his life and his sacrifice, we experience grace, grace that brings freedom, but grace that brings power. And the scriptures tell us that when we live in relationship with Jesus through faith, he starts actually 
making us over, making us new. And because of his gracious renovation of my heart and my life, it means that my life is primarily his project and it's not primarily mine. And here's what I know this morning. I need God's grace. And I have a feeling that you do too. Let's pray together.